Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. War or peace? President Biden talks tough. Russia will pay a heavy price. As a Russian invasion of Ukraine seems all the more likely, but is there a diplomatic solution to the crisis? I'll speak to Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Republican Senator Joni Ernst next. And now what? After the president's priorities fall apart in the Senate, Democrats try to regroup. We can get big chunks of the Build Back Better law. Can Democrats pass any more of their agenda before facing voters in November? Senator Bernie Sanders joins me ahead. Plus, save this city. One NYPD officer dead, another seriously injured, shot while responding to a domestic disturbance. It is our city against the killers. With New Yorkers already reeling after a horrific subway murder, how will the new mayor take on crime? New York City Mayor Eric Adams is ahead. Hello, I'm Dana Bash in Washington, where the State of Our Union is trying to get inside Vladimir Putin's head. Tensions with Russia over what could be an imminent invasion of Ukraine are escalating overnight. The United Kingdom released a rare statement revealing intelligence the Brits say they gathered, showing that the Russians are working to install a pro-Kremlin leader in Ukraine as Russia considers whether to invade its neighbor. Sources briefed on the intelligence say the U.S. has the same information. The news comes as Russia has more than 100,000 troops stationed on the Ukrainian border and is poised to invade at any moment. Friday, the first U.S. shipment of lethal aid arrived in Ukraine as Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov made another attempt at diplomacy. President Biden spent Saturday at Camp David meeting with his national security team on this issue as the White House warns again in a statement of, quote, swift and severe consequences if Russia further invades Ukraine. Joining me now to talk about all this is Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's start with that new British intelligence that the Russian government is planning to install a pro-Russian leader in Ukraine. Does the U.S. agree with that view? Well, Dana, I can't comment on specific pieces of intelligence, but, you know, we've been warning about just this kind of tactic uh, for weeks. Uh, and we've, uh, we've spoken to that uh, publicly. And just last week, we sanctioned four agents of Russia, uh, Ukrainians, uh, in Ukraine, uh, seeking to destabilize the government. So this is very much part of the Russian toolkit. It runs the gamut from a large conventional uh, incursion or invasion of Ukraine to uh, these kind of destabilizing activities in an attempt to, to topple the government. And it's important that people be on notice about that possibility. Does this intelligence make it more likely, in your view, that Putin is going to invade? I don't think it speaks to whether it's more or less likely. I think it speaks to the fact that, uh, as always, Russia develops uh, lots of different options uh, for uh, uh, doing things, including uh, in, uh, in Ukraine. And this is one of them. And it's something that people have to, uh, have to be aware of. Similarly, we've warned about the possibility of so-called false flag operations. That is, Russia manufacturing a provocation and then justifying anything it does uh, in, in terms of responding to this manufactured provocation. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of focus, rightly, 
on the fact that Russia has concentrated so many forces on Ukraine's border uh, and in the, in the, with the history of 2014 uh, in our minds and Russia's invasion of Ukraine then, mm-hmm. uh, we're rightly focused on that. But it's also important that people understand there are a range of things that Russia could do, uh, could be prepared to do, and we're prepared uh, to deal with all of them. I want to get to those other potential options that Russia has in a moment. But broadly, you mentioned the troops. It's 127,000 Russian mm-hmm. troops now near the border. How much power, in all honesty, does the U.S. really have to stop Russia? We've given Russia two paths. There's a path of diplomacy and dialogue, one that I engaged in with Foreign Minister Lavrov uh, just last week in, uh, in Geneva. But there's also a path of uh, its renewed aggression and massive consequences that we have been building now for many weeks. And it's not just us uh, that's saying it. Uh, the G7, the world's leading democratic economies, have been clear about that. The European Union has been clear about that. NATO has been clear about that. And as we're doing that, we provided more defensive assistance, uh, military assistance uh, to Ukraine uh, last year than at any time uh, in the past. Uh, I just uh, authorized myself the provision of uh, American origin uh, military equipment that's with uh, third countries, uh, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, uh, to get to Ukraine. And we are in intense, uh, regular, constant communication, uh, consultation with allies and partners to make it very clear that these massive consequences will follow. So Basically, at this point, Donna, the, the choice is Vladimir Putin's, and the, the paths are clear. Diplomacy, dialogue, uh, seeing if we can uh, uh, build collective security in a way that uh, is good mm-hmm. for everyone is clearly the preferable path, but we're prepared either way. So uh, you mentioned the diplomatic talks. You just met with Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov. Russia is awaiting your written answers to several key questions. What are the specific concrete answers there. And what is the specific off-ramp here for Russia? Is the U.S. willing to say, for example, Ukraine won't be joining NATO anytime soon and or that the U.S. won't put strategic weapons in Ukraine? There are um, a number of areas where uh, I think it would be possible uh, for us to um, address each other's concerns about uh, uh, about security in Europe in a way that uh, is is good for everyone. Can you Europeans, give me an example? Americans and Russians. So we've talked about this uh, in, in the past and in recent days and weeks. Uh, arms control, greater transparency, risk reduction, uh, the placement of missile systems, things of that nature. At the same time, I was very clear with uh, Foreign Minister Lavrov, as we've been, uh, that there are certain basic principles uh, that we're not in by one iota going to compromise on, including, for example, uh, NATO's open door, uh, the right of countries to uh, choose with whom they'll associate, which alliances uh, they'll join. Uh, but We've also, uh, as in, in looking at this, we want to make sure that even as Russia has shared its concerns with us, we uh, and our allies, because we've been in very close coordination on this, make clear our concerns with the actions mm-hmm. that Russia uh, has been taking. And we look to see if we can address any of these concerns on a reciprocal basis. Uh, that's what diplomacy is all about. That's what the dialogue is all about. Uh, but one thing's equally important, even as we engage in diplomacy and dialogue, <laughs> something that I do uh, for a living, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't take the word no out of your vocabulary. And as we're doing it, we're building up our defense, we're building up our deterrence uh, to make sure that Russia understands that if it doesn't follow the diplomatic course, if it renews its aggression, there'll be very significant consequences. Ukrainian President Zelensky is calling for the U.S. uh, and others, Europeans, to put sanctions in place now to do it proactively, not reactively. Uh, He said, quote, today our partners are saying that war may start tomorrow if there is a powerful escalation on the Russian side, and then there will be powerful sanctions applied. The question is, why are you not introducing sanctions now 
rather than wait until after the escalation. What's well, your answer for, to that? First of all, Donna, uh, as I said, we are not waiting. Uh, we are doing a lot right now. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, besides build, uh, the United States taking the lead in bringing countries um, throughout Europe and even beyond together in putting together massive consequences for Russia if it takes uh, renewed aggressive action uh, in Ukraine, as I mentioned, uh, we're providing, uh, and last year alone, provided more military assistance to Ukraine than at any year uh, in the past. Uh, we have been uh, going against those inside Ukraine, trying to destabilize the mm-hmm. uh, the government. So we're taking concrete action. But you're not, san- but you're not imposing to- the sanctions. So yeah. when it comes to sanctions, um, the, the purpose of those sanctions is to deter uh, Russian aggression. Uh, and so if they're, uh, if they're triggered now, you lose the deterrent effect. All of the things that we're doing, including uh, building up in a united way with Europe, massive consequences for Russia, is designed to factor into President Putin's calculus and to dis- deter and dissuade them from taking aggressive action, you, even as we pursue diplomacy at the same time. Do you see any scenario in which more U.S. service members become involved here? One of the things that uh, we've been very clear about, uh, besides the massive economic financial consequences uh, that would befall Russia if it further uh, commits aggression against Ukraine, uh, is the ongoing continued uh, uh, buildup of uh, defense capacity in Ukraine and equally uh, continuing to build up uh, NATO's defensive capacities, uh, including on the so-called eastern flank, the countries uh, near Russia. Uh, and the alliance is looking at uh, very practical and important measures that it would take in the event of further Russian aggression. So you mentioned uh, different kinds of, of aggression. Let's talk about one specific potential. Russian-backed forces currently occupy part, but not all, of the Donbass region in eastern Ukraine. Would seizing or recognizing the entire Donbass region qualify as an invasion and result in the crippling sanctions that you're threatening? If a single additional Russian force goes into Ukraine uh, in an aggressive way, uh, as I said, that would trigger uh, a swift, a severe, and a united response uh, from us uh, and from Europe. Uh, And again, there are other things that Russia could do uh, that fall short of actually sending uh, additional forces into Ukraine. Uh, And again, across the board, uh, we're prepared with Europe uh, for a swift uh, and calibrated uh, and very united response. We're looking at every single scenario, preparing for every single one. President Biden said an invasion would be the most consequential thing that's happened in the world in terms of war and peace since World War II. Why? He's exactly right. And again, this underscores why this is so important, not just for uh, for Ukraine, uh, not just for Russia, not just for Europe, the United States, but for the world. Because what's at stake here, Dana, are some very basic principles of international relations that have been established since two world wars and a cold war that have kept peace and security. Principles like one nation can't go in by force and change the borders of another. Principles like one nation can't dictate to another its policies, its choices, uh, including with whom it will associate. A principle like uh, the the fact that you cannot now in the 21st century purport to exert a sphere of influence to try to subjugate your neighbors to your will. If we allow those things to go forward and stand with impunity, then that opens a Pandora's box that countries well beyond Europe uh, will uh, will see uh, and maybe decide to act on. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, you've got uh, a lot on a lot on your plate. We appreciate your time and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon and obviously hoping that uh, things work out in a way that is 
on the diplomatic front, as you're talking about. Thank you Thanks, so much. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. And I want to go now straight to a Republican member of the Senate Armed Services Committee, Iowa Senator Joni Ernst, a veteran of the Army Reserves who served in the Iraq War. Uh, so, Senator Ernst, I want your reaction to Secretary Blinken. After what you just heard, are you confident that the U.S. is doing what it needs to do to stop Russia from invading Ukraine? Dana, I believe that we need to act now when it comes to uh, pushing back against Russia. We need to show strength and not be in a position of uh, doctrine of appeasement, which seems to be how President Biden has uh, worked his administration. So we do need to go ahead and impose sanctions on Russia now. We need to show them that we mean business and we will be there for Ukraine should they invade. Uh, once an invasion happens, Lives are lost. You can't go back from that. Um, so those sanctions need to be put in place now. They could be ex uh, expelled from the SWIFT banking system. Mm -hmm. Certainly, we need to make sure that any defensive aid is in the hands of the Ukrainians, as well as as much lethal aid as we can provide at this time. Um, and then we need to ensure the safety and security of Americans that are in the Donbass region. They need to be uh, moved out or know how to evacuate safely should Russia invade. But again, I hope that we can prevent that through diplomacy. Specifically on sanctions, you just heard Secretary Blinken tell me that if they impose sanctions now, it would take away a deterrent. Your response? I think we have many options for deterrence when it comes to Russia, but we need to impose those now. President Putin only understands strength and power. And again, through a doctrine of appeasement, he has seen in other areas, whether it's Iran with uh, this administration re-engaging Iran, even though they continue with bad behavior, whether it's working with China, um, whether it is the debacle that we saw in Afghanistan this last year. They see a very weak administration and President Putin sees every opportunity to do what he wants to do in Ukraine with very little pushback from the United States. So we need to have firm resolve with this. We need to work with our NATO allies and make sure that an invasion does not happen. How far should the United States go to defend Ukraine if Putin does invade. Should the Biden administration support a potential Ukrainian insurgency as they are reportedly considering? Well, I think all options should be on the table. And again, Dana, let's let's Dana, let's pray that an invasion doesn't happen. And again, we have to be very strong to make sure that Russia is not able to go into a sovereign nation without pushback. So let's get those sanctions in place. Let's make sure the Ukrainian military is prepared to respond. Uh, but we should be there for Ukraine. Um, we have a number of agreements, whether it's the Budapest Agreement, the Minsk Agreement with uh, with Russia. We need to make sure that those agreements are being followed. They're not just pieces of paper. They have kept Europe safe. They have kept Americans safe. So let's let's do what we can now to prevent any invasion. Right. And, and of course, I hear you on that. But how much should the U.S. contribute American men and women to doing what you're describing? 
Well, again, let's make sure, one, it doesn't happen. But secondly, again, there are so many tools in our toolbox that we need to be using diplomacy where we can. But also, if there are ways that we can share intelligence, work with our NATO allies and other partners, we certainly can provide the resources necessary to bolster the Ukrainian military. It is very important that Americans understand that when we have a stable Europe, when we have democracy around the globe, it makes our country safer. This matters. Russia invading Ukraine matters to Americans, um, not only for the safety and security of our partners in Europe, but also for the safety and security of Americans right here at home. Some foreign policy experts believe uh, what Vladimir Putin sees is an opening because in part of how deeply divided America is right now. You're a Republican senator. What is your message to Vladimir Putin on that? Don't do it. Don't do it. That is my message to President Putin. But what's he your message about the, the partisanship that, well, here and whether or not that makes America oh, more weak? Well, I would say that we do have differences on policy, and that is obvious um, to everyone. But let's make this very clear that as Americans, as Democrats, Republicans and independents, we want to see a free and prosperous Ukraine. So President Putin, don't do it. On this, we are allied. I want to switch to another issue of foreign policy, and that is Afghanistan. Back in November, you and every other female senator, Democrats and Republicans, sent a letter to the White House calling on the administration to do more to protect Afghan women and girls suffering under the Taliban. What actions do you want the White House to take? Well, those actions uh, were promised, or at least the premise was out there by President Biden to the United Nations that we would stand up for Afghan women and girls as the United States of America. And that sentiment was echoed by Secretary Blinken. We have not seen any action yet. So in the letter, I did lead with Senator Dianne Feinstein of California. And as you stated, all female senators um, signed on to that letter was to uh, meet with the administration and provide support however we could to Afghan women and children. Uh, so we need to work with the administration and find ways that we can be supportive. What I don't support, however, is sending cash directly to the Taliban, as the Biden administration has now allowed. Um, as of the end of December, they have waived restrictions that now allow dollars to go directly to the Taliban in the form of aid. But we don't know how those dollars are going to be used and if they will be used at all on food and medicines and shelter for the women and children of Afghanistan. There is a huge humanitarian crisis right now, and certainly we need some answers with the administration. But what we wanted to show as female senators, leaders um, in the United States, that we want to step forward and support these vulnerable populations in Afghanistan after such a devastating withdrawal. Senator Joni Ernst, Republican of Iowa, thank you so much for joining me this morning. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dana. And the president has a new plan to salvage the rest of his agenda. Will it work? Senator Bernie Sanders is coming up. Welcome back to State of the Union. We're all hoping for a better 22, but for President Biden, the year 
hasn't started off so well. His two major policy priorities, Build Back Better and election reform, are stalled in the Senate. And this week, the president floated an alternative way to get some of the social safety net priorities passed by breaking it up into smaller pieces. Is that doable? Here with me is the man who would write those bills, Budget Chairman Independent Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont. Thank you so much for joining me, sir. So here we are one year into the Biden presidency. Those two key priorities are stalled in the Senate, the social spending bill and climate bill, the election reform legislation. It's because Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema won't get on board. How frustrated are you? Well, it's not only those two. It is 50 Republicans who have been adamant uh, not only in pushing an anti-democratic agenda, uh, but also opposing our efforts to try to lower the cost of prescription drugs, trying to expand Medicare to include dental, hearing, and eyeglasses, uh, to improve the disastrous situation in home health care, uh, in child care, to address the existential mm-hmm. threat of climate change. You've got 50 Republicans who don't want to do anything except criticize the president. And then you have, sadly enough, two Democrats who choose to work with the Republicans rather than the president and who have sabotaged the president's effort to address the needs of working families in this country. Is it frustrating? It sure is. But my view, Dana, is we need a new direction, a new approach in the Senate. I think after six months of negotiating, so-called negotiating behind uh, closed doors with Senators Manchin and Senator Sinema, we need to start voting. We need to bring important pieces of legislation that impact the lives of working families right onto the floor of the Senate. And if the Republicans want to get, vote against lowering the cost of prescription drugs, climate change, home health care, whatever it may be, and if the Democrats, two Democrats want to join them, let the American people see what's happening. Then we can pick up the pieces and pass legislation. So I want to get but to- the current course of action. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I want to get to more of that and, and really drill down on what you mean by that in one second. But while we're talking about uh, the two senators, the two Democratic senators, you saw, I'm sure, that the Arizona Democratic Party censured Senator Cinema. Was that appropriate? Absolutely, it was. On that particular vote that she and Manchin cast, we were trying to address the reality that you got 19 st- Republican states all over this country or undermining the foundations of American democracy, trying to make it harder for people of color, young people, people with disabilities to vote, coming up with extreme gerrymandering, taking action against independent election officials. And it is so important that we protect American democracy, that we stand up to the big lie of Trump and his allies that he really won the election. Uh, and, and they undermine that effort. I think what the Arizona Democrats did was exactly right. Would you be willing to campaign against either Senator Sinema and or Senator Manchin in a Democratic primary? Well, that's a long way coming, not up until 2024. Mm-hmm. But if there were strong candidates in those states who were prepared to stand up for working families, who understand that the Democratic Party has got to be the party of working people taking on big money interests, If those candidates were there in Arizona and West Virginia, yes, I would be happy to support them. Okay, let's go back to the notion of of how you're going to do what President Biden talked about, uh, passing what he called big chunks of the social spending and climate plan. Uh, You say you want every senator to vote. Can you specifically talk about how you're going to 
or you want to go about doing that? How can you get these things, not just to have political votes to show that Republicans are, are against it, but more importantly, how can you pass at least the bare minimum of what you think you can? Well, I think what you, Donna, what's most important is that the ideas that we are fighting for are enormously popular, enormously popular. 70, 80% of the American people want us to make Medicare and negotiate prescription drug costs. People want to expand Medicare. People want to deal with the crisis of climate. So what we are talking about is what the American people want. And I think when you bring bills on the floor, we have allowed the Republicans to get away with murder. They haven't had to vote on anything. Now, if they want to vote against lowering the cost of prescription drugs, expanding Medicare, dealing with childcare, dealing with housing, let them vote. And let Manchin and Cinema decide which side they are on. And when all of that shakes out, we'll see where we are. I have the feeling that we will be able to get 50 votes or more on some of these issues. We can put that piece together and then pass something that's very significant. So if I'm understanding you right, you're saying put all of these, uh, these, these policy initiatives on the Senate floor, let them get a vote, and let's be honest, they'll probably fail. And then once that happens, you'll craft legislation that can actually pass on specific parts of the Democratic agenda that have enough support? Once, once that happens, Donna, we will know where we stand. I am not quite so sure that you're not going to get at least 50 votes to lower the cost of prescription drugs or to expand Medicaid or deal with climate. Mm-hmm. But once we know where people are at, then we can say, all right, look, we got 50 votes here, we got 51 votes here, 49 votes here. Let's do it. But what has bothered me very much is the Republicans are laughing all the way to Election Day. They have not had to cast one bloody vote, uh, it, to, which, which shows us where they're at. And we've got to change that. Is Senator Schumer the majority leader on board with this strategy that you're describing today? Well, I think this, this is a discussion that we're going to have to have not only with Senator Schumer, but with the entire Democratic caucus. I think there is widespread understanding that what we have done for the last six months has failed from a policy point of view. It has failed politically. We need to change course. We need to have the courage to take on the Republicans and let Manchin and Sinema decide which side they are on. President Biden singled you out at his press conference this week when he was asked if he was governing too far to the left. Take a listen. Hmm. You guys have been trying to convince me that uh, I am... uh, um, Bernie Sanders. I'm not. I like him, but I'm not Bernie Sanders. I'm not a socialist. I'm a mainstream Democrat, and I have been. What was your reaction when you heard that? Well, I'm not Joe Biden. I like him, but I'm not Joe Biden. I'm a progressive who believes that the Democratic Party should make it clear that we are prepared to take on powerful special interests like the drug companies, like the insurance companies, like the fossil fuel industry, that we have to demand that the wealthy start paying their fair share of taxes. So look, I think President Biden has done something quite unusual. He has taken a hard look at the problems facing the American people. He's brought forth legislation to try to address that. And I respect that. But obviously, we have our strong differences. And what do you say to those who say that part of the reason why that you're stuck, as you just described, in process and policy is because... Joe Biden is governing more like Bernie Sanders than Joe Biden, and that's not what the American people asked for. Well, I would turn that around and say, how does it happen 
that the policies we are now fighting for are enormously popular. You know, CNN did some polling out there. Ask whether the American people think it's time to take on the greed of the pharmaceutical industry. Ask whether we should be dealing with the existential threat of climate. Should we be building affordable housing? Should we be dealing with, with childcare crisis? And the American people say, yeah, it's about time you did it. We're seeing the very richest people in this country, Donna, becoming incredibly richer during this pandemic, while tens of millions of American workers are struggling to make ends meet. The American people want us to have the courage to stand up to powerful special Sen interests. Senator that's what they want, and that's what we've got to do. Um, I want you to listen to something that you told me on the show just after Democrats took unified control of government just about a year ago. Yep, Democrats who have slim majorities in the House and the Senate, we've got President Biden in the White House. If we do not respond now, yes, I believe two years from now, the Republicans will say, hey, you elected these guys. Mm. They did nothing. Vote for us and they will win. So given where you are now, have Democrats delivered enough to win control in November? Well, we have done. Remember, we're taking on the incredible obstructionism of 50 Republicans who have turned their backs on working families in this country. And we have two Democrats who have sabotaged the president's agenda. But we did pass the American Rescue Plan, which was one of the most consequential pieces of legislation in the modern history of this country, got money into the hands of working families, cut childhood poverty by 40%, gave money to hospitals and medical centers all over this country, and helped us stabilize the economy. We also passed an infrastructure bill the most significant piece of infrastructure bill mm -hmm. since Dwight D. Eisenhower in, in the 1950s. So we are making some progress, but clearly we have been stalled by the uh, sabotage, if you like, of two Democrats who have refused to support what the president and 48 of us want to, go, want to do. Senator Bernie Ch Sanders, chairman of the Budget Committee, thank you so much. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. And one NYPD officer killed and another injured in a shooting in Harlem this weekend. The city's new mayor, Eric Adams, will join me next. And he made this emotional plea. We must save this city together. No excuse to shoot an 11-month-old baby. No excuse no to assassinate excuse. these officers. No, no excuse no to have the shooting we saw in Staten Island responding to a dis domestic dispute. There's no excuse to be a gangbanger and think you're going to wreak havoc in our city. No, no. it's not happening. New York City Mayor Eric Adams speaking at a vigil last night to honor an NYPD officer killed this weekend and another officer is fighting for his life after they were shot while responding to a 911 call Friday night in Harlem. This comes just days after a woman was thrown in front of a New York City subway car and killed. The attacks have New Yorkers on edge. Here with me is the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams. Thank you so much for uh, joining me. And, and your city is, of course, mourning the loss of Officer Jason Rivera, just 22 years old, a son, a husband and a friend. Uh, you said yesterday that the second police officer, Wilbert Mora, is fighting for his life. How is he doing this morning? Uh, it's, it's still um, primarily in the same condition, uh, communicated with the doctors and his family uh, yesterday. Uh, just really 
uh, has impacted our entire city, if not the entire country. And this is coming after having five officers shot, an 11-month baby ch- uh, shot in Brooklyn. Uh, the symbol of that soiled uh, coat with red blood is really um, what we're talking about here, and not only New York City, but across America. And I have continually stated, and we will move forward to do our job in the city, uh, but we need help to deal with the underlying issues that are impacting uh, crime in our city and has become a stain on the inner cities across our country. Mr. Mayor, you ran, you've just been in office for a few weeks, you ran a campaign on returning law and order to New York. And you just listed a lot of the crimes, horrific crimes that have happened just in the first few weeks that you've been in office, really high profile crimes. So what concrete steps are you taking to keep your promise and make New York City safer? And, and you know, it's important what you just laid out uh, three weeks into our administration Uh, analyzing all of the tools and resources that we have. Um, I'm going to roll out a real plan this week when I speak to the New York public. Uh, And we're going to go after the underlying reasons you're seeing crime in our city. Uh, This is a sea of crime that's being fed by many rivers. And we have to dam each one of those rivers. And we have been unsuccessful to do so uh, throughout the years. These crimes did not start um, during my administration. They have been here for far too long in many parts of our community. We have to go after those laws uh, that are not realistic, on understanding what's happening on the ground. We have to stop the flow of guns. We are removing thousands of guns off our streets. And it appears as though for every gun we remove from the street, five are coming in. That is unacceptable. And then we have to deal with the institutional problems. We have failed to educate black and brown children in the city of New York, if not this entire country. And we put in a new plan in our subway system that's going to increase mental health professionals and at the same time have my law enforcement personnel there deployed properly. So I understand that you're talking about introducing a series of steps later in the week, but people in New York City, you feel it. They're worried right now. So can you give me, give our viewers, give New York City residents one concrete example of a way that you are going to, using your platform, make them more safe immediately? Well, immediately we're going to reinstitute a newer version of a plain clothes, modified plain clothes uh, anti-gun unit. I talked about this on the campaign trail. Our team has done the proper analysis, and now we're going to deploy that. And you're going to see a visible presence in our subway system. The governor has been an amazing partner uh, where we're going to have and flood our system with mental health professionals and law enforcement working as a team uh, to move out the disorder that's clearly in the subway system uh, in our city. But also we're going to continue to build out. I talked about this. We were able to stop terrorism in this city when state federal and city law enforcement agencies did information sharing and deployed together. President Biden heard me. He understands that. And we have placed that in, in, in place now in New York City. You, you talked about the subway system. I just for viewers who aren't familiar, this is uh, what happened was a woman was pushed in front of a subway train killed uh, because of that in Times Square. You said you're going to put mental health professionals in and around the subway system. Is that what you're saying? 
a partner, to partner with our police personnel and mental health professionals to be more proactive and not just reactive. We should not wait for someone to carry out a dangerous action when we know they are on this station in the first place. Immediately when you see a dangerous person there, mental health professionals will be deployed and that person will receive the proper care and removed from our subway system. Before I let you go, you just received your first paycheck and converted it to Bitcoin. Uh, It happened just as cryptocurrency markets were crashing. How much money did you lose? And do you have any regrets? (laughs) Well, listen, it's the same when I invested in the stock market um, in my 401k. Um, We saw a drastic drop uh, during 2018 and other times. Uh, When you're a long-term investor, you don't keep your eyes on your portfolio. You buy low and hopefully you get the recovery that you desire. And the purpose of the Bitcoin is to send a message that New York City is open to technology. You're going to see a large amount of new technology in the city of New York and encourage our young people to be engaged in these new emerging markets. And I'm excited about the future of this city. And I'm excited about bringing my young people who have been historically denied access to new technology. Mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. And for the former president down at Mar-a-Lago, the legal hurdles and political challenges are stacking up. This time, does it matter? That's next. Welcome back to State of the Union. If President Trump has a bad week but can't tweet about it, did it really happen? The answer is yes. It was an avalanche of bad news for the former president. The New York attorney general leveled new claims against the Trump family business, and the Supreme Court allowed more than 700 documents from the presidential records to be sent to the committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol. How is all of this factoring into the former president's political ambitions? Well, joining me now, two former Trump insiders— former White House communications director Alyssa Farah Griffin and former Trump advisor David Urban. So, David, let me start with you, and I'll add another thing to that, and that is a grand jury opening in a criminal probe of President Trump in uh, the former president in Georgia. What should he be most worried about right now? Uh, oh, Dana, look, there's, I, I, I think, you know, there's a, there's a, a wide range of issues that are that are facing the, the president. And, and I, I've been on this network, as you know, for, for many years, and uh, it looked like uh, he was in much deeper trouble at many points in the future, and it all kind of p- played out, and, and nothing happened. I remember waking up and hearing on the networks, you know, Trump to be indicted this morning, stand by, and then no indictment ever came of it. So uh, I'm, I'm not putting a lot of credibility or credence and, and not greatly worried about any of these, Is he? these current headlines. No, I don't think so. I, I don't think he should be, because there's, you know, we've been, this is like the, Paul, the perils of Pauline. It's probably a little bit dating myself from even, uh, even uh, Alyssa has no idea what that is. But, you know, there have been. <laughs> she has right, no idea. T- t- tune into the next episode and we'll see what happens here. And, and, and nothing's ever happened. And because to a large extent, there is no there there. And, and I think we'll, that'll play out here in, in these cases as well. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, this, we're making light of it, but the reality is that this is, these are serious uh, charges, oh, I, I, charges. But I, I want to I want to get Alyssa in here because, Alyssa, uh, you worked in the Trump White House. You are cooperating with the January 6th committee. Give us a sense uh, on the documents uh, that they're going to see that they are seeing now they have access to. What might it show investigators? 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's no question that the January 6th committee is going to loom large over the next couple of years of Donald Trump's life. But I actually surprisingly um, agree with David on this, that what is going to take Trump down in terms of 2024 being the nominee and potentially being the president is less his legal woes and much more just the country's fatigue with him. Mm-hmm. So there was a really there's a recent AP poll that showed that only 27 percent of Americans even want him to run again. So at a time right now when the Biden presidency is frankly on life support, the economy is struggling, we've got this high inflation. This is a moment for Republicans get through midterms, keep him around through midterms. He's a monster fundraiser, but then kind of have a come to Jesus moment and say, what can Donald Trump do that Mike Pompeo, Mike Pence, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley can't do? All of them who are not don't have this cloud of January 6th and have having led an insurrection on their back. Alyssa, since you worked in the White House uh, at the time, do you uh, have any sense of what he should be most worried about with regard to the documents that the committee now has? Uh, My guess, and this is pure, this is speculation based on kind of what I've observed and read in conversations I've had, which is any sort of coordination with the bad actors that went a step further. So um, this Oath Keepers indictment that charged some of them with sedition and conspiracy, that's significant. If you end up finding that White House individuals were in communication with some of those very fringy groups, I think that's incredibly damning. Do you think it's possible? I think it's possible, but I don't want to speculate. But the other thing I would say is important. Um, I think you're going to see the anatomy of the big lie begin to unfold. When you see more text messages come out of people around Trump who knew the election fraud was a total myth, they were simply humoring him and privately saying, yeah, we can't keep spreading this craziness. I think that chips away at Trump's credibility. And I also think it really gets to him. David, Politico obtained a draft Trump executive order. It was a draft. It's now in possession of the January 6th committee, which would have ordered the acting secretary of defense to, quote, seize, collect, retain and analyze all machines, equipment, electronically stored information and material records relating to the 2020 election. You're a West Point grad. You are close friends with the former Trump defense secretary, Mike Esper. What's your reaction to hearing that? Yeah. So, so Deanna, look, I, I've not seen the document. I, I've not seen the yeah, I've not even seen the article. I just I, I heard it this morning. So so I, I don't really know the details of it. Obviously, look, if, if as you described, that that's troubling. But I don't know why they were, you know, what, what the underlying issue was in terms of uh, taking taking the, um, uh, you know, the voting machines out of the control of the states. Perhaps it was the fact that they were the, the administration felt that they were not um, going to be uh, c- correctly held in a chain of custody such that um, they'd be preserved for future uh, I- examination. I, I don't know. Uh, but as you said, it was a draft. It was never executed. It was never sent around. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of draft documents done in, in the government um, that never see the light of day that, uh, that aren't the greatest ideas. But so, D- David, if I could chime in, I'd be curious, and I hate to put you on the spot, but I know Mike Pompeo, yeah. an old friend of yours, what, what couldn't he accomplish as president that Donald Trump could? And like, could someone like him, like this is what I as a, a conservative <laughs> wrestle with is, he, let, let's run someone like a Mike Pompeo and we don't have the shadow of conspiracy so, so, and insurrection on our backs. So, so listen, Mike Pompeo or, uh, or your, your, your former boss, the vo- vice president, none of these people are running for president. None of them expe- have said they're running for president. So I'm not going to well, speculate or put people, well, come put on. people out there, right? Come on, they're, they're talking, preparing. No, they're, they're, not, they're not running. They're not running for president. Listen, if Donald, Donald Trump, Trump didn't run, Don, they listen, probably Donald, would. Donald, 
exactly. And if a lot of people didn't run, someone else might run. Donald Trump is still the dominant force in Republican politics. It, it, Alyssa just admitted it. People, he's a monster fundraiser, a monster presence in the Republican Party. I don't expect that the former president is going anywhere in 22 or 24. Donald Trump remains incredibly popular amongst Republican-based voters. I'm helping my good friend and West Point colleague, Dave McCormick, in the state of Pennsylvania run for Senate. And I can tell you, in the state of Pennsylvania, amongst Republican-based voters, Donald Trump is incredibly, incredibly popular. Here in Florida, in the state of Florida, Donald Trump is incredibly popular. Anywhere you go around the country with Republican voters, Donald Trump is incredibly popular. And so, listen, until he becomes not popular amongst Republican voters there won't be an opening for anybody else. Well, but so, the challenge is he didn't win in 2020, even in Pennsylvania, you know, he lost right. your home state. So I just have so, to wonder, I've got this, I've got a theory and we'll, we'll see it play out. Republicans are going to keep him around through 2022 because he will be helpful in winning back House seats, getting back the House majority. He is a monster fundraiser. He does have a death grip on the party. But I'm going to be curious to see if there starts to be a break after 2022, because mm-hmm. if I'm reading the tea leaves, how can this guy beat Joe Biden? I don't see him Alyssa, being more Alyssa, Republicans, but your, your, your mistake is you're, you're saying Republicans will keep him around. Like, like they, they have the, they're, they're doing this. Republicans love Donald Trump. It's not like they're keeping him around. The Republican base loves Donald Trump. You're getting it wrong. You're missing the point. I know. I, I don't th- actually keeping don't, him around. I don't think you're wrong. But I do think if some figures emerged who could champion his policies <clears throat> without the division and without the shadow of insurrection, I think that those figures could emerge and be become equally oh, popular. Alyssa, let me uh, just uh, jump uh, in. Uh, uh, go, go ahead, David. Yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say I was going to say 24 is, is incredibly far away, yeah. as you all know. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, it's an, it's a, you know, a hundred years from now in terms of electoral uh, of politics. So I think the more immediate focus is 22. Look in that in that same poll you're you're referring to, Alyssa, the AP poll, which was done, um, conducted on the one year anniversary or released on the one year anniversary of uh, the Biden inauguration. Seventy four percent of Americans feel the country's on the wrong mm-hmm. track. Seventy four percent. You know what that means, Dana? That means that the House of Representatives is going to go overwhelmingly in, in terms of the Republican Party. We have those 28 um, Democrats retiring right now. We expect to see more of those. Kevin McCarthy just had a monster haul last week, rec- roughly a $10 million fundraiser in D.C. De- Republicans are breaking all kinds of fundraising records. The House is going to come back to be in Republican control. The Senate will come back to re- Republican control. Well, and, it's, it's, and, th- and then we'll see. And then we'll see what happens in the next it's few no years question, between it's, that and the presidency. Right. And it's no question that in terms of Congress, the Trump effect is going to be beneficial in 2022. But I'm looking at governor's races. So Charlie Baker resigning, <laughs> that seat will go Democrat. There's no question. Then, yeah, you know, but, Trump it, getting it's involved Massachusetts, in Governor it's Massachusetts. Ba- no, but course. then Trump getting involved in <laughs> Governor Kemp's race, that could easily become a Stacey Abrams held seat. So the meddling with some it, of these. It's a purple. Go- it's a purple. It's a purple. Georgia's a purple state. You're it, talking about it wasn't a, before a, a, a Donald Trump. State. Well, it's, it's been trending. Per, it's been trending but, the, in, in David, the wrong direction for Republican for years. Let me ask Alyssa so, so if she, scri- if she agrees that. with you. Yeah. Let me see if Alyssa sure. agrees with you that if the election 2024 election were held today, Donald Trump would win the Republican primary and win the White House. No, I know you think that. What about Alyssa? Win the the primary by a landslide, he'd lose the White House. Oh, not even close. We'll (laughs) disagree there strongly. So how do you, Alyssa, I know you're joining with other uh, former Trump uh, advisors and aides to try to uh, stop that. 
Listen, my, my perspective is this. There were many good policies on under Donald Trump. I agreed with 75% of his policies. But when you attack our democracy, try to overthrow the electoral process and disenfranchise 80 million voters, you, 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 you lose the right to ever be president again. I, there are many credible good Republicans who could run on what Trump did and, frankly, I think do more and be less divisive and bring more voters into Aly- the fold. Alyssa, David... <laughs> What a discussion. Order, we will order, definitely order, continue order this discussion. On all that. A lot okay. Of that. <laughs> a lot of agreeing to disagree here. That's uh, that's the benefit of America. Thank you so much to both of you. Thanks, Dana. Thanks, Thank guys. you for spending your Sunday morning with us. The news continues next. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.